Good evening, everybody. Hi. Is it because I wasn't facing you? No, it couldn't possibly be that because every time I say, it's like a, yeah, it's going to get messy up here. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> watch out now. Uh, I just want to say he mentioned boss in the prayer and I, I was thinking earlier, I was looking at, we have a, our, our latest addition to our, our church family is, is here tonight, little Silas, and he's got this Clint Eastwood squinty gaze, and he looks like a boss when he does it. I was, I was just like, man, this is a little man right here, little, little Harrison man. Ah, oh, it's awesome. Uh, so welcome, everybody. I'm going to move stuff around a little bit. Uh, we are going to start off with some fun. First of all, if, uh, if you're new here, if, if you're, well, anybody can do it, actually. There's, there's coloring pages at the back, so feel free to grab one of those. And if you're like this tall or, or, or shorter, you can, you can write down what you're learning through the, the series and the, or through the sermon, and then you can trade it in for like treats with, with Miss Sarah afterwards. So feel free to grab one of those coloring sheets. Uh, but I need, I need eight volunteers Smaller volume. Okay, Isaac, yeah, I knew that was going to happen. Okay, Camden, come on up. All right, let's go, Hudson. All right, we need to balance this out. Lawson, you got it. So we need, we need some girls. Yes, okay, Annalise, come on up. So, okay, this is, we got, you guys are good. I love this. This is good stuff. We need three more, though. Three more. We need three. Come on now. Three more volunteers. You two, come up. You guys, you guys can come up. Jack and Claire, come on up. And then that leaves one more person. One more person. Mike, do you want to do you want to bring Jacob up? Do you think like what do you think? Do you think he might be too small? Or it's, this is going to be really fun. I think you, Jacob, if you want to come up, bud. You, what's up? Yeah, Jacob could do it. Jacob, come on up. You want to come up with your dad? <laughs> okay, but anyway, you guys want to come up up, up on the stage? And you got to pair off. So everybody get with a partner. Don't touch anything yet. Don't touch anything yet, but everybody needs to get a partner. Okay? And so what we're going to do is we're, we're going to do a little science experiment. And Sarah's going to show you what's up. Okay, so this is vinegar that we're putting in here. Oh, I thought it was water. Just, yeah, it's So you need a scoop. You need a scooper and a holder. Don't dump it in right away, though. Do you think it's going to explode? Hey, why do you think I'm standing way over here? <laughs> Cam's face. Okay. 
Yeah, exactly. Uh, you guys ready? I'm set. I'm feeling safe right now. <laughs> yeah, remember, we, you need a holder and a scooper. The desire to want to flip it up is strong on the stage right now. <laughs> Just in case. <laughs> You kind of wish it would, don't you? Yeah. Maybe a little bit. There you go. Oh, yeah, there you go. Try to set a home first, right? We're still waiting to see what's going to happen. Thank you, guys. Can I tie it up and then throw it at someone? <laughs> that was a, uh, that's a good question. And no, we'll, we'll go with no for the, uh, for the answer. Thank you guys. We appreciate you. You are good sports. You guys scooped and all of that. Awesome. We're going to let them sit there and just kind of see what happens as time goes on. Great job, guys. Thank you. Isn't science fun? Isn't it, isn't it fun getting to do cool stuff like that? See, unfortunately, though, science and the Christian faith, in many people's eyes, is incompatible with one another. They, they, people will think either, uh, and, and I get it, right? I, I understand why this is the case, because if you walk into most universities, most colleges, uh, even elementary schools, uh, and even some churches, you will hear something like, Faith, Christian faith and science is incompatible with one another. You'll either hear that you can either be a good Christian or a good scientist, but you can't be both. So, so I get it. If you're interested, there's something you can look up. It's called the conflict thesis. And this was something that was created a couple of hundred years ago in the 19th century by a couple of guys. And they were trying to, through their own study of history, uh, show that, that faith and science were at odds one another, with one another and had been for centuries. So it was, a, it was a way of sort of saying, Christians, you need to stop 
uh, talking about God and, and stop talking about these sorts of things uh, because it, they're at odds with one another. But if you look into it, academia did over a number of years and they've thrown it out. They said it, it was bad history. It, it was bad science that kind of went into this conflict thesis. So it was thrown out of academia, but yet a lot of people still hold on to this view that faith and science are opposed to one another. And tonight I want to dispel that as a lie. And to do that, I want to just tell you the story about one uh, fellow. His name is Francis Collins. He is a, he's a Christian, and he's also a scientist. He, in fact, was the one who mapped the genome, the human genome. So he's not just a scientist. He's a science, scientist of the first rate. He's, a, he's an excellent scientist. He became a follower of Jesus as an adult. He was a, a fairly significant, maybe agnostic atheist for most of his life. And uh, he got a degree in quantum physics and then he ended up going to med school and was a uh, resident. And he started to encounter people that were dying but weren't bothered by it. And that bothered him. He, he didn't know what to do with that. And so he started investigating the claims of Christianity, the claims that these people were making for himself. And he came to a robust faith in Christianity because of that investigation. He's got one major encouragement for all of us tonight. I've read quite a bit about him and, and things he had to say. And, and he, he wants all of us and he wants his fellow scientists, his fellow Christians to have humility when it comes to this conversation. Because there's some Christians and, and some non-Christian scientists, they want to reject each other's thoughts as either uh, they want to throw out either good science or they want to throw out a good God. And so he's saying... That there are indeed, though, people like himself who, who understand that they don't, they aren't mutually exclusive, they, they can be learned from both. So tonight, I want to address the question, doesn't science refute too much of the Bible? That's the question we're in our doubt series, and so this is the question that we want to wrestle with tonight. Now, the simple answer for this question, uh, I'm just going to, to play my cards early, the simple answer to this question is no, science doesn't refute too much of the Bible. Why? Well, because in order to refute something, that something needs to be making a claim. So to say that science refutes the Bible is to say that the Bible is claiming something. But what is the Bible claiming? Well, the writers of the Bible tell us the story about the way things are when we look at the world around us. Now, what do the writers say about the way things are? Well, there are a lot of things they say, but I, I want to read tonight and comment on two passages that we're going to look at. First one is, is Psalm 19, and we're just going to look at the first six verses. And then we're going to look at Romans 1, 18 to 20. So let's start with our psalm. Verse 1, the heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Has anyone ever heard the sky say something before? See, I, I thought I did once, but it turned out it was, it was just a bird. It was, it, was a, it was a bird saying something. It wasn't, wasn't the sky. Just kidding. But seriously, how, how often do you find yourself, your attention grabbed by something that you see either up in the sky or in the world around us? How often does that happen to you? Uh, Sherlock Holmes and, and Dr. Watson had a experience like this. They went on a camping trip. And as they're, they're laying down for the night, they, they look up and Sherlock Holmes says to Watson, he says, do you see, or when you look up into the sky, Watson, what do you see? And he says, 
Watson looks up and says, I see millions and millions of stars. And, and Holmes says, what does that tell you? And he says, well, scientifically or, or uh, astronomically, that tells me that there's millions and millions of galaxies out there with probably billions and billions of planets. Theologically, that tells me that God is great, but we are small. Meteorologically, that tells me that we're going to have a really nice day tomorrow. Holmes, what does that tell you? And Holmes looks at him and says, well, somebody stole our tent. Because <laughs> see, you can, can see the, the stars, right? They're camping. Yeah. So, thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. I'm here all week. So, so what, what does this verse reveal to us? As we read it, this verse reveals, it, it reveals a claim that the author's making doesn't it? Namely, that God created the natural world. And if I were to ask somebody who doesn't believe in God, they would say, well, poppycock or, or some other word, that this can't be true because God doesn't exist. They would say that, no, the Bible can't be true. The Bible, or science has refuted that, so this isn't true. And then I would respond with something like, okay, well, how would you explain the universe coming into existence then? I think that's a good follow-up question. Tell me what you believe. And there's a number of theories about the existence of everything or why there's something rather than nothing. But tonight, I'm just going to look at two of the, of the biggest ones, of the most popular ones. It's going to get a little bit technical, uh, but that's good, right? We want to we uh, stretch our minds a little bit so that we can be more uh, robust in our thinking, but then also so we can help other people as well. So... First one, there's this notion that the universe has always existed or that it's eternal. So if you're, I were to say, how, when was the universe created or how did it come about? This person might say, well, I actually don't think it was created. I think it's always been there. Aristotle was somebody that believed this. Now, there's one rather large scientific reason to believe that this isn't true. And namely, if you think about the second, this is, this is big, the second law of thermodynamics, and namely entropy, something called entropy. I, I encourage you to look it up. It's, it's, it's a long and, and complicated, but essentially what that is getting at, you can Google it and it's all over the place. What that's getting at is that there is a finite amount of energy in the universe and that it is slowly being used up. There's a finite level of energy in the universe and it's slowly being used up. They say it's, it should take about a number of trillion years before that will happen, but yet that is the, the direction that it's going. It's a different matter when that will happen. So what does this have to do with the universe being eternal? That's a great question. This has to do with the universe being eternal. Uh, so let's take it, uh, let's assume that there was a cup of coffee sitting on our table and it, it was steaming, a steaming hot cup of coffee. Now let's say that it had been there forever. Let's say that I told you that that cup of coffee, that steaming cup of coffee had been there forever. That it was there before I existed, before you existed, before this church building existed, before the ground we're standing on existed, before the universe existed, that cup of coffee was there and it was steaming hot. What, what would you think? Poppycock, there we go. It'd probably be wrong, right? Do you think it'd be a good cup of coffee still? Probably not, right? Old coffee, whoof. Eternally old coffee, even worse. But how do we know when a cup of coffee is old? It rhymes with old. It's cold, right? Because coffee, they, 
heat is an energy, right? And it dissipates over time. So if this, it, and we, we know this to be true. So to say that a cup of coffee had been there forever, if it was cold coffee, hey, maybe we can have a conversation, right? We would get kind of mixed up in the why is there a cup? And what, you know what I mean? How did it get on the table? You know what I mean? Was it floating? These sorts of questions, but beyond that, we would know that the coffee couldn't possibly have been there forever. This is the same with the universe. As far as our understanding of it goes, there's a finite amount of energy. So there couldn't be an eternal universe. People would say that therefore, the universe had a beginning. This leads to the second explanation as to why there is something rather than nothing, and that would be the Big Bang. This would be the Big Bang. See, here's a quote from National Geographic. The best supported theory of our universe's origin centers on an event known as the Big Bang. This theory was born of the observation that other galaxies are moving away from our own at great speed and in all directions. This is an interesting part. Remember National Geographic. As if they had been propelled by an ancient explosive force as if they'd been propelled by an ancient explosive force. The Big Bang, of course, was uh, essentially discovered or posited by a believer, by a Christian named Georges Lemaitre. He's a Belgian priest back in the 1920s. And because of, uh, he was, his observation was then uh, corroborated by Edwin Hubble and a number of other people. But as the, the theory went out and started being accepted by more people who didn't believe in God, didn't believe that God would be the originator of it, they started to try to try, figure out, well, how could this have possibly happened? Because they said, well, before the Big Bang, there was nothing. So they, that raised the question, well, how could something come from nothing? And it, it just, it's a head scratcher because typically when things happen, there needs to be some sort of a first cause. And so that was a, a problem for many people in the community. So in, in, according to most people, if they, if they don't believe in God, they would say that it just happened. They say, well, we don't know how it happened, but it just happened. There was nothing, and then all of a sudden there was something. The universe. See, part of the problem is that in, for many people in the scientific community, they're not willing to at least allow for the idea of God to be a possibility or an agent inside the scientific process. And this is where it gets problematic because if you automatically or presuppositionally exclude something, you, you don't allow it to be even in the conversation, it makes things difficult to do good science. They would, in other words, be willing, unwilling to look at the Big Bang and, and to admit that a Big Bang would, and, and I don't mean this at all crassly, but would need a Big Bang-er. And by th that, I mean God, somebody to actually make that happen. So th this isn't saying that we have, you know, we've, we've tried to learn some things and now we have this gap in, in our knowledge and so we're just gonna kinda put God in there and, and see if he, he fits. It means that we have limitations to our knowledge and, and we've reached our limitations on seeing being able to see what happened before time and space and everything started. And so it just leads us to the conclusion that it must therefore be God that does it. Listen to this quote from a gentleman by the name of Arno Penzias. Uh, he won a Nobel Prize in the 60s uh, for discovering the cosmic microwave background radiation that provided strong support for the Big Bang. Also a believer. He says, the best data that we have are exactly what I would have predicted had I had nothing to go on but the five books of Moses, the Psalms, the Bible as a whole. 
Nobel Prize winning scientist. Did you notice he said the Psalms? So what does our our writer continue to say? Verse 2, day after day, they, the heavens, creation continue to speak night after night. They make him known, God, they make him known. They speak without a sound or word, yet their voice is never heard. Yet their message has gone throughout the earth and their words to all the world. So just like Arno, the prize-winning scientist points out, our writer is pointing to God as the answer to the question why there is something rather than nothing. All of creation, in fact, is crying out that there is a wonderful creator full of goodness and beauty. And he's gifted his creatures something marvelous to experience. Yes, things like death and and disaster, they're they're troublesome for us and, and we have to wrestle with that. But at the very bottom... And throughout, there appears to be blessing upon blessing for us. And it's not just for people. God also cares deeply for the other aspects of creation. Listen to this, continuing on in verse 4. God has made a home in the heavens for the sun. It bursts forth like a radiant bridegroom after his wedding, and it rejoices like a great athlete eager to run the race. Do we have any racers here? Anybody like to race? Yeah, we got some racers. How do you guys feel right before a race? You get pumped up? You get excited? How about, has anybody here won a race? Yeah? I saw you run, dude. You're fast. So how, 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 do, you guys, how do you guys react when you win? Yes! Right? It's pretty, it's pretty fun to run a, run a race and, and win. How about the face of a man as his bride enters the room? and starts walking down the aisle towards him. Many a uh, tear has been shed at those moments, especially when it's a, a tough guy. And it starts to reveal his deep love with true emotion. You see, the sun is, is there for all of us to experience. God has put the sun there for all of us to enjoy. And the sun's busy. Verse 6, the sun rises at one end of the heavens and follows its course to the other end. Nothing can hide from its heat. And now this is where, if there was a skeptic in the room, they might put up their hand and go, whoa, whoa, whoa. Science, right? Does the sun really move across the sky? Well, no. No, the, the, the sun doesn't, Right? The sun doesn't move across the sky. How do we know that? We know that through scientific discovery, right? Observation, etc. We know the sun doesn't move. But is that what this passage is attempting to communicate? A, a proper heliocentric model for our galaxy? Like, is that, is that the, the driving force behind us? No, the writer's talking about the sun like we talk about the sun. The sun rises and the sun sets. Now, does the science then refute? Has the science refuted what we've just read? Has, has science shown that this isn't true? No, it hasn't, because this text isn't making a scientific claim. There's, there's nothing to refute. But verse 6 comes after verse 5, which comes after verse... Help me out. 4. That's Thank you. And, and, and that verse does make a claim, right? Verse 4 does make a claim. What's the claim? 
verse 4, that essentially that God made a home in the heavens for the sun. And, and by that, we can, we can understand that God made the sun. That God's the creator of that. In very beautiful, poetic language, too. And so this is where the rubber hits the road, I think, so to speak. So did, did God create the sun? Is, is the claim, can the claim be backed up? Did God create the sun? Is that what is being declared by what we see and what we know, by what we read in this text and what we see in that text? Yes, we do know that God created that. We, we know it when we do read it in the Bible, but we also know it when we look outdoors or when we take this God-given gift of science to, to think about things like the Big Bang, we can take that and know that God, and it help have some explanation for it. But humanity still has a track record of denying that the heavens declare the glory of God, let alone anything else. See, imagine you, you send somebody uh, a text and it, and it says red on it. But you notice it says red, but then they, they don't respond. Or, or imagine you, you walk up to someone and say hi, and then they just kind of walk right by you. Or imagine that you, you make something special for somebody, and then they, they turn around and, and then they start thanking somebody else for it. Now, now imagine you're perfect. Imagine that you're actually the one that created the molecules that that phone was made of, or, or the people themselves in this story are made of. Imagine you've given them everything, and all you ask for in return is, is recognition and obedience born out of gratitude. See, sometimes we forget that, that God isn't asking us to love the unlovable, when, when he calls us to love him, right? When, when you read through the, the, the texts of the, uh, the New Testament that talk about the life of Jesus, you see this spectacular man who's amazing and the definition of lovable, and he is God. So God is asking us to love the most lovable. But we do often what rebels do. We, we rebel. And so God, in his holiness, and his justice, and his goodness, he responds. And this is where we read in Romans 1, verse 18, but God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. You see, they know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. And for since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky and through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible quality, his eternal power, his divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. See, this isn't a, a petulant God like Zeus throwing a tantrum. This is a holy God. Showing wrath over not getting, receiving the worship that he deserves. And, and I think we, generally speaking, as people, we've gotten so used to the amazing things that we see in this world around us that we can often take them for granted. Yet we, we still notice them. Did anyone notice that sunset like a week ago? As you know what I'm talking about, right? It was unbelievable. We got a little picture there. This is, swipe this from Ron. Van Acker. 
But it, like, it was a spectacular sunset. Just the light, the sky was lit up with pinks and oranges and it was just unbelievable. But the issue is, is that often we as a society, we don't attribute this majesty, and I'm speaking generally, of course, we don't attribute this majesty to God because we think if we can explain it, then God must not have done it. Like, here, here's an explanation of why the sky is pink. It's, it's because the sun is low on the horizon. Sunlight passes through more air at sunset and sunrise than during the day when the sun is higher in the sky. And more atmosphere means more molecules to scatter the violet and blue light away from our eyes. Blah, 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 blah. Right? Like, this is, it's, it's neat that we can explain that, but we think because we can explain it that that means we could do it or that it's not that special. It means that God didn't create it or even be the cause behind it. See, I, I love this scene from The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. It's a Chronicles of Narnia book. And in the scene, we have a couple of the Narnian royals. We have Lucy and Edmund with their cousin Eustace. And they encounter Ramandu, a retired star that has come to this Narnian island near the edge of the world. And, and they're asking him what lies beyond this island. And Ramandu shares a bit of who he really is. He says, I saw, and he's talking about the, the, la the last lands towards the end of the world. I saw them long ago, said the old man. But it was from a great height. I cannot tell you such things as sailors need to know. Do you mean you were flying in the air? Eusis blurted out. I was long way above the air, my son, replied the old man. I am Ramandu. But I see that you stare at one another and have not heard this name. And no wonder, for the days when I was a star had ceased long before any of you knew this world, and all the constellations had changed. Golly, said Edmund under his breath, he's a retired star. Aren't you a star any longer? asked Lucy. I am a star at rest, my daughter, answered Ramandu. When I set for the last time, decrepit and old, beyond all that you can reckon, I was carried to this island. I am not so old now as I was then. Every morning, a bird brings me a fireberry from the valleys in the sun, and each fireberry takes away a little of my age. And when I have become young as the child that was born yesterday, then I shall take my rising again. For we, at, er, at, we are at Earth's eastern rim, and once more tread the great distance." In our world, said Eustace, a star is a huge ball of flaming gas. Even in your world, my son, that is not what a star is, but only what it is made of. See, in other words, we like to talk about things rightly in terms of, or sorry, we, we don't talk about things in normal speech in terms of what they are made of, which is more the realm of Science, what is, what is this thing made of? We can break it down. We tend to talk about things in terms of their purpose. Take this for example. Someone, someone asked me what's on, what's on my wrist. Well, it's a rubber strap made up of different technological blah, 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 right? Like, no, it's, it's what is this? It's a watch, right? We, this is how we talk about these sorts of things. We talk about it because of what its purpose is. And that's the realm of a creator. 
Friends, listen carefully when I tell you that science, the scientific method, is incapable of telling you, telling us what something is or what something is for. This is why we need to lean into what the writers of the Bible teach, and that's from the beginning that God was there and that he created everything. How did he do it? With a word. And part of that creation, the pinnacle, in fact, is you and me. And because of that, we have the opportunity to see and enjoy the beauty of the world all around us, even inside us as God transforms us from the inside out. So does, the science, does science refute what the Bible teaches? No, because science is only able to observe how things are, not tell us why they are. So the important questions like, why is there something rather than nothing? Or what is the meaning of life? Or do I have value? Do you have value as a, as a human being? Or beyond science's scope? But that's okay. Science is still really, really cool and can tell us so much about the world that God created, about how our bodies work, about how far stars are from us. So many cool things. But it's up to God to decide the purpose for his creation. This is part of the good news, isn't it? God has given us minds and, and creative curiosity to not only explore this world around us, but to explore life in him. And we know that from looking into his word, both in nature and in written form, that he's there and that he cares for us. So much that he sent his son to live the life we couldn't and to sacrifice himself on our behalf. So, because of that, we can have a meaningful relationship with God through Jesus. And, and that's the best part. But as C.S. Lewis says, when we get Christ, we also get everything else thrown in at once. It's such a nice gift. So the writers of the Bible then, they help teach us about the nature of reality. About how things truly are. But we're going to get more into that topic next week when we continue our series on doubt. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for science. Thank you for this uh, amazing ability that we have to be able to take vinegar and baking soda and blow up balloons with it. Thank you that we can explore this world around us, that we can learn about how you created us, about how you created the universe, about how different medications work, about how all of the different ways that we can make cars work, or whatever it is. Whatever questions we have, Lord, you've given us minds to be able to explore. And most of all, you've given us minds that can know you. And so thank you, Lord, for revealing yourself everywhere we look. Your fingerprints are literally everywhere. And so, Lord, as we think about that, as we think about this idea of doubting that you're there, and, and Lord, we, we get that it is very real. It's, it's easy to look beyond you. Help us to be able to, to be encouraged and then help us to be able to encourage others that we encounter along our path. Thank you for this beautiful night that you've given us. Thank you for this community. And now as we continue to worship you through song, we pray that you will accept it as it is meant to be given. We pray in your name. Amen.